This is Dropped Among This Crowd, a podcast that dives into the music and community of improvisational progressive rock bands on Free Geese. Each week will feature a rotating schedule of insightful full show recaps, interviews with fellow Umphreaks, members of Team UM, as well as other musicians who have been inspired by and or played with the band. This is your place for all the latest news and happenings within the world of Umphreaks, helping keep you informed on what's been recently released or where you can catch the next show. I'm your host, Sarah Jaginiak. Thanks for joining me as we dive in. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week of Dropped Among This Crowd. I hope that you were able to check out last week's episode where I gave a complete rundown of what happened during the two nights that Umphreys McGee played at SeatGeek Stadium in Bridgeview, Illinois on May 14th and 15th. There is a link in the show notes where you can give that a listen if you haven't as well as a link for the episode about the last time the guys were at SeatGeek Stadium back in 2020, if you wanted to give that a listen as well. This week on the show, I am very pleased to welcome aqueous guitarist and vocalist and the guitarist and vocalist for the recently formed power punk trio Death Kings, Mike Gancer. Looking for a new way to stream your music or listen to your favorite podcasts? Check out this exclusive offer for DATC listeners. Head to getamazonmusic.com slash dropped among this crowd to receive a 30-day free trial of Amazon Music. That's getamazonmusic.com slash d-r-o-p-p-e-d-a-m-o-n-g-t-h-i-s C-R-O-W-D to get a 30-day free trial and unlimited access to 70 million songs, always ad-free on Amazon Music. Before we get into it this week, there are some fresh tour dates to pass along to you. Uh, How exciting is it to see this many dates on the calendar? These are in addition to the couple of summer dates that the band has already announced. These dates have already gone on sale last Friday, June 11th, but you'll find a link in the show notes where you can get more info and buy tickets for the stops that maybe are not sold out yet. All right, so here is what they announced. August 13th at Riverside Theater in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. August 14th, First Avenue, Minneapolis, Minnesota. August 15th, Lorenson Amphitheater. It took me a couple times to like run that through and I still got it wrong. Um, uh, Lorenson Amphitheater at Waterworks Park in Des Moines, Iowa. September 3rd at Fox Theater in Oakland, California. September 4th, The Wiltern in Los Angeles, California. September 5th, The Observatory North Park, San Diego, California. September 9th, Stubbs Barbecue Outdoors, Austin, Texas. September 10th, House of Blues in Houston, Texas. September 11th, House of Blues in Dallas, Texas. September 12th, Kane's Ballroom in Tulsa, Oklahoma. September 16th and 17th, Resonance Festival at Marvin's Mountaintop in Masontown, West Virginia. 
September 18th, TCU Amphitheater at White River State Park in Indianapolis, Indiana. I guess that answers the question of whether or not they uh, put the seats like they were going to in that place. October 8th and 9th, the rescheduled dates for Umbol at the Capitol Theater in Port Chester, New York. Uh, November 12th and 13th, the pageant in St. Louis, Missouri. November 14th, Morris Performing Arts Center in South Bend, Indiana. November 18th and 19th, the National in Richmond, Virginia. And November 20th at the Norva in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, I do know... The South Bend tickets, I had a South Bend ticket for last, well, 2020, yeah, last year, um, and they refunded those, um, so I did have to buy a new ticket for South Bend, but I did get one, so I'll see you guys there, um, but a few of those, I think the West Coast dates, some of the California dates, I don't think that they ever actually refunded people. I know a couple people that actually still have tickets um, for like the wheel turn and stuff. Um, so if you still have tickets and you're not sure, definitely reach out to the point of sale um, rather than Umphreys. Reach out to the point of sale and find out what's going on because they may take your ticket that you had for the previous uh, show, especially if it's the same venue, same band, um, and they didn't issue refunds. Um, so if you have any questions about that kind of stuff, um, definitely reach out to the point of sale, the venue, um, because they'll be able to help you out with that whole thing. Joel did let slip a Grand Rapids stop on Twitter, but no official announcement on that from the band at the time of this episode's recording. Also, Joel mentioned that this was not all of the stops for this year on their calendar, so there are some more coming. My guess would be their Halloween plans and perhaps some rumblings about New Year's. That's super exciting. And I'm very, very excited to be heading back to South Bend. Like I said, my trip last year was canceled. Um, and it's a Sunday show, a hometown show. And, you know, there's going to be so many friends and family there and people from their past. So who the hell knows who's going to play? And it's just going to be absolutely ridiculous. So I'm super, super stoked for that. And I can't wait to see a bunch of people when I'm there. It's going to be really, really awesome. As I mentioned, these tickets are already on sale, but if you haven't snagged yours yet, follow the link in the show notes for everything you need. All right, so let's get to my chat with Mike Ganser. Mike came on the show with the intention of talking about his new power punk trio band, Death Kings, with Ryan Stasek and Mikey Karuba from Turquoise, but we got into a whole bunch of other subjects as well. Side note, in episode 146, there's about a 10-minute conversation I had with Stasek about Death Kings. There is a link in the show notes if you missed that and would like to check it out. The still untitled album is not finished yet, so stay tuned to their socials for more on when that will be ready to rock. And of course, you know that I will let you know on here when that hits the streets too. There is also video of my chat with Mike on the show's YouTube page. So if you want to check that out, there is a link in the show notes for that as well. Mike and I talk about, like I mentioned, Death Kings and how that all came together. He talks about the name and what it's been like for Mike to work on this project. We also talk about the Green Day set he played with Chris and Ryan at 2017 Summer Camp Music Festival and how that started laying the groundwork for Death Kings. 
We also talk about how much of a small world it is. I went to middle school slash high school with Mikey Karuba and have run in some of the same social circles with Mike Ganser. As many of you know, Aqueous is from here in Buffalo. So on another level, it's cool to see these guys I've known form this band and create with the bass player from my favorite band. So, I mean, that's pretty neat too. We also talk about March 2020 when Aqueous was set to open for Umphreys in San Diego and then everything got canceled. What 2020 was like for him as a musician and personally and what he focused on during the time off the road and the lessons that he's learned in that time. We also talk about the solo acoustic storytellers type shows he did back in April Those are available to listen to on his Bandcamp page, which you will find a link for in the show notes. We also talk about him teaching lessons on Lively, which you'll also find a link in the show notes for that if you'd like to book one. The importance of mental health, vulnerability, and courage. That, I think, is one of my favorite parts of this conversation. Um, Those subjects are another one of the things that I really like to talk a lot about. So it was great to have that conversation um, with him. Uh, He also talks about what inspired him to pick up the guitar and how skateboarding played a huge piece into that. Seeing Umphreys for the first time, how he's inspired by Umphreys personally and professionally, what it's been like opening up for them in different parts of the country, what song he would sit in with Umphreys if he was given the opportunity And we also talk about the punk version of Uncle Wally from Summer Camp 2004. Yeah. I will link that in the show notes in case you've never given it a spin. It's good. Like, it took a whole new, like, way with that song. Um, So give it a listen if you haven't. And, of course, being from Buffalo, we have to talk about one of my favorite local venues, the Town Ballroom, a place both Mike and I have seen many, many shows at, and he's had the pleasure of playing on that stage a few times, so it was cool to hear his perspective of playing that room and, you know, what it was like for him. We also talk about another Buffalo band, Mo, and the most valuable piece of advice he's gotten about being a musician, which actually came from Vinny Amico, the drummer from Mo. Such a great chat. Thank you so much, Mike, for taking the time. It was really great to finally get the opportunity to talk anyway, but then to have the conversation about everything that we did. It was really a lot of fun, and honestly, it just made me think You know, not too shabby for a couple of folks from Buffalo, New York. Do you have a small business that makes shirts, pins, jewelry, stickers, prints, or sells other interesting products or art that you think peeps would love to get their hands on? Is your band looking to get some attention from fellow music-loving umfreaks? Maybe you provide an awesome service that would make folks' lives better or easier and want some like-minded clientele? Or perhaps you're looking to hire some cool people to work with. Let Dropped Among This Crowd Media Company help you get the word out.
with ad space in monthly issues of Conduit Magazine, commercial spots here on this podcast and other podcasts across our network, and so much more, Dropped Among This Crowd Media Company can help you reach tons of fellow umpfreaks, musicians, and other kind folks looking to purchase from you, work with you, and support their fellow um family. Check out our website, datcmediacompany.com, or email sarah at datcmediacompany.com. That's S-A-R-A at datcmediacompany if you're interested in chatting more. So here is my chat with guitarist and vocalist for Aqueous and Death Kings, Mike Answer. Well, I guess let's just start with Death Kings then. You mentioned to me that you were doing, you're tracking some vocals yesterday. So talk about that and talk about what it's been like working on the project. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, for all my years that I've spent in music, which is at this point is about 15 years, um, this has to be one of the most enjoyable projects I've ever taken part in. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a, t- it's a team of people that I just, that truly, you know, like both Stasic and Mikey Karuba from Turquoise, um, both really like believe in the spirit of rock and roll. And, um, it's really cool to link up with people that just unabashedly feel that way. And it's very, it's hard to describe, but, you know, obviously in the different bands that we all play in, um, you know, we kind of run the gamut in terms of genre and, and turquoise is specifically more kind of like the the upbeat, like funk stuff. Um, but it's really cool to just go like, like really dive into, the, you know, all of our respective roots with like rock and roll and punk and thrash and like all that stuff. Like, like we all, that's all like very much in our blood and in our DNA. And it's cool to be able to do it just so shamelessly, you know, like, and, and without any worry about what it's supposed to be and what, you know, what, like it's just pure joy and, and pure expression. And, um, it's, it's been, been amazing, but yeah, so we've been, you know, the, the project started off in, in a funny way, because, you know, really it, the genesis of it was my connection with, uh, you know, Stasic and Chris from Umphreys doing Green Day sets, you know, like that's where it all started. And actually the ironic part about that is, and most people don't know this, but um, that band, like we called it Dookie because we played all the whole Green Day record and then we would start doing like Ween stuff and Weezer stuff, but it was mostly surrounded surrounding the Green Day record, it was actually supposed to be Mikey and um, Taylor from Turquoise. That was going to be the trio. And then there was a scheduling conflict. And then I'm talking about 2017 at summer camp. That's like when this was supposed to happen. And uh, there was scheduling conflict. And so they weren't able to do it. And then Stasic was like, I'll do it. But like, I want Chris, I, I want like Chris to do it too. And, and it was kind of interesting that Mikey, like there was already like those paths were kind of crossing by accident, like, but they weren't connected at all yet. And uh, really what happened was, is that, you know, I, that, that was my first time really getting a chance to connect with Stasic. Um, in, you know, I mean, when you start playing music, to, it's it's one thing when your bands tour together, we open for them or, you know, something like that. And we'd done that maybe a couple of times up until that point, but it was pretty limited in interactions. I'm always cordial, but just, you know, um, it's different when all of a sudden you're in a practice space or you're on stage together. And so we kind of just started bonding early then. And, and I mean, anyone that's met Stasic knows that 
he's pretty easy to get along with. I mean, how could you, you know, I mean, the guy's just a fucking bundle of joy and, and I love his outlook on life. And so we, we connected pretty quickly. And so I feel like after that experience, him and I were just always looking for opportunities. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we like wrote music like this and, you know, and, and what would happen? And, you know, it was, it was hard to, to really find the time for that back in you know, 2017, 2018 is when we started. Like, I feel like 2018, early 2019 is when we started talking about doing original music more. But at that point, both of our bands were touring a gazillion dates a year. And, and you know, when Stasek comes home, he's got a family. And, you know, obviously balance is important for everybody. And, and uh, it was just harder to find the opportunities to really work on it. But even as early as like, I think maybe, I don't know the month, but sometime in 2019, we started sending like, just like little ideas back and forth over Gmail with no real intention other than to just be like, isn't this cool? Or like maybe play something on this. And there was no real structure. And then it sort of turned into like, you know, when quarantine hit, we're like, well, shit, all I have is time, you know? And yeah. like, and so that kind of became a focus for both of us. And, and it just started, you know, I don't know, we it, it was interesting finding, a way to work remotely because you know he's at down in South Carolina. I'm up here in Buffalo, and um, and so it started with just Stasic and I, you know. And then bringing Mikey in. So was that because you were going to work with him before, or you know, being both in the in the same area again? Small world. I went to Starpoint with Mikey Karuba. So <laughs> keep the small yeah. world thing going there. <laughs> yeah, Karuba Collision, you know. I mean, Definitely. For any any Buffalo people watching, I mean, you've seen the Sabres games, you know. Definitely. Uh, that's so. That is so funny. What is what a small, strange little world we live in, you know. Yeah. And I and I love and then that's another cool part, you know. So Mikey doesn't live in Buffalo anymore, but you know he's he's still so connected to the city, and I feel like anyone that's from this area definitely has a certain sense of pride about it, and so it's him and I have always shared that kind of Buffalo brotherhood thing, and. Um, but no, you know, Mikey and I, you know, he was, he's always sort of been like an older brother to me. And he was um, an early advocate for, you know, because with Aqueous, you know, none of us went to music school, none of us like, you know, had any formal training. And so I think for us, there was when we first emerged onto the scene, there was a bit of a feeling of like, you know, just that like, we went, you know, we, we thought like, okay, like these guys all went, like all these bands went to Berkeley and everybody's really like, we could all play and I we all had intuition, but I feel like Mikey and, and, and Turquoise, like they were like, they really um, believed in our band and believed in me. And, and I feel like Mike, you know, Mikey would always like kind of connect me with the right people and, and, and sort of just be a champion, um, you know, an advocate for our band. And, and so I've always had a great respect for him and looked up to his musicianship, but over the years we've just formed a really deep friendship and, um, we've done a bunch of different little side projects together over the years. And I remember the one we we had a long drive together and uh, we discovered on that drive that we both like love heavy music. You know, we were listening to like a lot of like Queens of the Stone Age and like older Metallica and like just like CKY and like all this heavy shit. And so when I learned that about him, I was like, you know, and we, we always said like, we should do something really heavy together. And I remember like even pre-quarantine, I, I had, you know, Stasek and I had made like one, one or two like little demos, just kind of like whatever. And uh, I sent it to Mikey and he's like, dude, like I need to be on this project. Like, please let me like, like I'm the guy. And, and so like a lot of time passed. And then, you know, as when, when quarantine did happen, I just started like, you know, both Stasek and I started cranking out ideas. And then, you know, I was like, you know, when we, him and I were talking like, you know, 
because we had Rob, you know, it's in, it was so interesting, actually, the day that COVID like really, like really, um, you know, kind of took hold in terms of like things being canceled. We were actually in San Diego. Um, we were about to open for Umphreys for a couple of dates up the West Coast, Aqueous was. And Stasic and I had booked an after show that exact night in San Diego doing a project called The Hazards. And it was gonna be our debut band with um, the drum, our drummer from Aqueous, Rob. And so it was gonna, it was gonna be this like, you know, we were just gonna do like punk covers of like Fugazi and and Bad Religion and Pennywise and, and you know, and and we we had talked about maybe doing an original, but that really wasn't developed at all at that time. And it like all everything got canceled the morning of that. So we were like this close to starting this new project, and then it never really got off the ground. And so when we went home. We kind of went back to the drawing board, and 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 you know I had rem I had remembered that I'd sent the track to Mikey, and he so he was kind of gonna you know in terms of like the concept for the band, it was you know he was gonna be the one for like studio stuff, and so we were like let's just start a whole new entity, you know, because and previously you know we had done these iterations with Chris Myers too, where it was like mostly just the Green Day stuff and then punk covers, and so we've kind of always been circling the realm of this type of music, but when it came time to like really write original music like I, you know Mikey he just had such a passion for it and I remember like 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 when I send him it like it's he's an awesome person to work with, you know, because like, you know, I'll send him a demo and he'll write back. I remember like they sent him something and he wrote back dude in all caps, like 10 times and then called me until I answered, you know, and it's, it's, it's his enthusiasm is really contagious and it's awesome to work with people who believe in you and believe in rock and roll. And so like putting myself and Stasic and, and, and Mikey into one project is sort of like a dream situation for me in terms of like just even the spirit of the thing because if there's no pressure everybody's having the best time and like but no one's afraid to get really fucking heavy too so that that you know when, when it came time like Mikey was just clearly the guy and so we uh so that and we gave him a call and and, and that was that that's awesome and that's the exact way an artist wants to create something with just free will and no pressure and just to have fun. That's when the best art is made, I think. I, I completely agree. I totally agree. Yeah. So talk some more about then 2020, you know, March, 2020, you guys are on the West coast. And so you're already there and now you have to get sent home. And so what was that all like for you as a touring musician? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And uh, I don't, I, you know, I feel like, on one end of the spectrum, and I don't want to be too crass here, but it was sort of like a blue balls situation where yeah. we were really excited to link up with the Umphreys guys. And, and I, I personally like love the West Coast. Um, I, I feel like I really resonate with the energy out there. And like, I've even thought about moving to San Diego. And, and so I had been really excited for that leg of the tour. And we'd already been on tour for a couple of weeks. Um, but it was it was strange because by the time that we got to the West Coast, I could already sense that things were changing. You know what I mean? Like I remember going out for a beer, like I got there a couple of days early. Like we had we had played a festival in Arizona called the M3F Festival. And that was actually the last act, the last show we played, you know, in terms of like 2020, like show, show before COVID really turned things, um, turned things around. But uh, um, I remember going out for a beer and uh, like they were washing the tables in between and the bartender was wearing a mask and I was like, what is happening, you know? And and and, and I kind of just got like, it was just sort of a strangeness. And, you know, of course I was paying attention to the news and, and learning 
quickly the scope of things. And, um, you know, I remember getting, I, I stayed up like real late that night, like rehearsing for, you know, the side project we had the next day with, with Stasic and, and my drummer, Rob. And I remember like waking up the next morning and my manager was like, call me as soon as you can. And I called him and he's like, well, tonight, it looks like they're canceling tonight because of this COVID thing, but we should be good for like the next couple shows. And then he called me back 30 minutes later. He's like, whole tour is canceled. And I was like, what the heck? And so it was sort of a, you know, I mean, it was one of those things where, you know, I, I've, none of us have lived through a pandemic, of course. And so it was definitely a peculiar, almost eerie feeling like what is like what's happening? I mean, if it's on this large of a scale, and so there's fear, you know, around that. And for me, I do, you know, I struggle with um, like a little, you know, some health issues myself and some autoimmune things. So I, you know, I was kind of like, a little freaked and you know i just wanted to get home as quick as i could kind of just in case and so yeah. um you know i, I rent, rented a car and uh drove to la and, and then flew flew home and it was weird because I, I remember going you know coming back to buffalo and people still hadn't quite gotten it yet here you know like where like i, I remember stopping over at ironworks to pick up gear like that i had just stored there or something and there was like a show happening and i was like i don't think this like i was like i don't think this is gonna be like lasting too much longer and then of course like two days later everything was shut down but um you know i i mean i i'll say quarantine i think has meant a lot for a lot of people i i feel like it's important for before i discuss any positive aspects or silver linings to just kind of you know just say without any ambiguity that like you know this has been a moment of horrible suffering for a lot of the world. And so, you know, I mean, I always try to make the best of situations, but any any positive aspects that I talk about are in full respect to what people have gone through up until this moment, um, and including this moment. I mean, India is, is, is in a really bad shape right now. And I know many people who have lost family members, um, and, and it's just been obviously quite devastating and for a lot of people. Um, but for me personally, um, I think it's been sort of a positive um, thing that's emerged from it has just been having the time to get a little bit more balance in my life and focus on my health and wellness and mental health um, in ways that I hadn't been able to that I, you know, maybe that I've wanted to for some time, you know, but just given the rigorous tour schedule that most of us have being into and these jam bands, um, there really hasn't been a lot of room for that type of thing, at least at least not not room, but not room for follow through, because it turns out that type of work is actually like a full time job until you get yourself you know yeah. situated and get, you get a good system built and for yeah. me i'd been putting it off since i was like 15 years old so um i'm 31 now so it's a little overdue um but yeah. I, I have to say that like through this experience there's been a lot of serious ups and downs and and you know questioning things and reworking things and reshifting things but ultimately i i you know i'm i'm actually kind of experiencing a little renaissance a, a personal renaissance where i feel like i'm actually happier and more balanced than i've ever been um but it's been through like you know good diet and counseling and like you know a lot of us have things that we've gone through in life that we just don't process or you know and so for me this time has really represented that and it's been amazing to have the time to kind of put some of that experience into music. Um, and I think that's where kind of the Death Kings project comes in is because, um, you know, I, not, the idea that myself and Stasic have time to just like be giddy and sending riffs over Gmail every other day for months is like not a luxury that we're, that we're used to. And, and so, you know, 
it's been sort of a mix of spending my time kind of just restructuring my life um, in a positive way and, and in, in, you know, implementing healthier habits and, and behaviors and things like that. And, and I've actually been doing a sober run since October. So, uh, you know, I, 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 and, you know, just kind of just that kind of kind of stuff. And I've reconnected with my skateboarding roots and um, that like it, it all kind of culminated into like this type of project being able to happen because for me skateboarding and heavy music go hand in hand and like you know I feel like being in a good mental state like kind of getting in touch with uh, you know some nostalgia and some joy from my you know from earlier in my in my life um and then having the time and connection to work with someone like Stasic and Mikey um on a project like this has actually been a beautiful silver lining because now we have a new band like that's that's a that's something that's a gift I was given through this time that you know we might have been able to string something together but not like the time and care and love that's now gone into what we're making is much more than this ever started off as. And that's been fun to just kind of appreciate that and take advantage of the time and, uh, you know, and just kind of go full, full bore on it, you know? Yeah. I love that you've taken this time to, to do that because I think, whatever your kind of beliefs are, I feel personally, cosmically that, in some way, this was supposed to happen um, to force us to look at things in our lives, things that we were doing that wasn't serving us, whether it wasn't healthy, physically, mentally, relationship wise, you know, any of these things that we were doing in our lives that were like, wait a minute, it's not what I want. It's not the best for me. And being stuck in your house, what else are you going to do but evaluate yourself? So <laughs> yeah, it's like you really didn't, you know, I feel like a lot of people had that moment where they had they had no other choice but to look at it. Whatever there were the, no distractions. There wasn't the any was. music. There wasn't any sports. There wasn't any whatever. There weren't these distractions and people actually had to evaluate what they were doing and I yes. think it's good that you you use that time to do that because you're going to come out of this grown yeah for sure and and you know I mean I think it's also one of those things where you know most people on both sides of the uh, of the fence here in terms of music fans um and you know people that just like love to go to the shows and see the shows and, and go on tour with the bands and stuff and then the bands themselves I feel like you know you have something taken away like that and you and you and you gain a whole new appreciation and perspective for what it's meant for you you know in your life and i know like even the small amounts that we've been able to perform um you know like you know doing these drive-in shows and that kind of thing has been like incredible you know like where it's it's almost like i feel like a kid again you know in regards to you know just the simplicity of of playing music with my friends and seeing people smile in the audience like you know that's it's it's been such a, a huge part of my life for so long um that you know having it taken away in such an abrupt and lengthy way compared you know i mean i've spent uh, you know 17 years almost at this point going you know touring and playing shows and being at festivals and just being really entrenched in this scene being able to take a step back um definitely shed a new a new light on on how grateful i am to get to do that and to have that connection and and not even just performing but seeing shows and connecting with people and you know socializing in the way that we get to and you know you really see what a community you do have there because you know that context is where a lot of my friendships occur and where my community lives and so when that 
and I think we've all experienced that, like the people you know from the touring or from the bands that you love, that's where you see them. And so when when this all happened and, you know, quarantine's going on, you don't see these people, you know, like even these, my band friends and stuff, like someone like Stasic, like normally I at least get to hang out with them a couple times a year, just like on the road or at a festival or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like a year and a half goes by and, you know, I don't see any of these people. And so it was interesting kind of like learning the value, you know, just kind of even seeing the value on a deeper level of all of those connections um, be between our fans and, and our peers in this, in the jam scene, you know, and uh, it's just, it's definitely been an interesting time, but I know like I'm more grateful than ever to play music, you know? Yeah. And as from a fan perspective, I'm more grateful than ever to be able to go and finally see some music. I thought about it and I think this was the longest time since my my first concert, I was eight and I went to go see Michael Bolton. And oh, wow. Michael <laughs> yeah, Bolton. yeah, my mom took me for my eighth birthday. So I think since I was eight, I've seen music, every, you know, every summer. Right. I'm 36 and I haven't seen any music in over a year. So that's really, really weird. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Not even I, somebody playing a guitar in a backyard somewhere. Like I've right. seen nothing. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting. I actually just recently did a couple of solo acoustic shows out in Rochester, and uh, it was incredible. But you know, like, I, having spent my whole life doing this type of thing, like, I I went into that like a little bit nervous for sure. You know, like it's like kind of like you know, I mean, I it's it's so the other thing I was going to mention is I've spent this whole quarantine teaching, um, which has been incredible. You know, I, I mean, I've taught off and on over the years, but again, with the hectic schedule, it was something that was fewer and further in between and now I'm doing it almost full time and uh and so you know I I'm I, I've I've actually had more time than than I normally do on tour to like play and work on my instrument and teach and stuff but even with that in mind I was still like nervous to like be on stage again you know like it kind of like even did a little reset on that like you know and there was a the point where we were doing 155 shows a year for a couple of years straight. I mean, it's, I've done this a lot. And even after all that, having this time off, I definitely got like the little butterflies and like a little anxiety for the week prior. And, you know, once I got there, it was, it was beautiful, but it took me a second to settle in, you know, and to even see people, there was still a socially distance event. You know, they, they capped it at a certain amount of tickets for both nights. And, um, but it was like, just even being in that scenario again, was kind of like a trip, you know, like it, my, my mind was like, is this okay? Like, and it, and it was, it was totally safe and it was great. But you know, like this past year has been full of uncertainty and fear and change. And, and so it was like, kind of almost like felt like too normal or something, but then it was, then it was awesome once I settled into it and ended up being like a really beautiful experience. But yeah, it's a, it's been a peculiar year for, for sure. Were, were those your first ever solo show performances um it was actually my second um and the first okay. one was out of necessity I, you know i occasionally would do a duo with aqueous's guitar player where we just do like acoustic stuff and uh you know he had like a family emergency pop up a couple of years ago at where he couldn't do the show and so i kind of did it but I, it wasn't my intention to do a solo show so these were like my first proper solo shows where you know i had like a like a looping situation set up and and i sort of framed it as more of a storyteller's thing where i kind of broke down a lot of the meanings behind the aq stuff and then 
like covered songs that were meaningful to me and then like talked about them. And, and it was very connective and very emotional, emotional. And I, I really liked the opportunity to, you know, break down the barriers a little bit. I, I feel like I'm a big advocate for, um, you know, obviously we all have our onstage personas and like we, we, we do that thing. We, but we are those entities. We are those people. And, and it's awesome. Like there's nothing like a good rock show, but, um, we're also people. And I think it's, there's power and vulnerability and an honesty. And I, I feel like I've been finding um, a lot of goodness and connection and sharing a bit more with people and breaking down those barriers and ha helping people to recognize that like, it doesn't matter what situation you're in, like we can all, we all still struggle and we all go through things. And I feel like I just am trying to kind of get that message out a bit more, um, and to like kind of break down the stigma of like mental health conversations. And, and so I feel like it was, it was really cool to like really do that in a more focused way. Um, and, uh, and, you know, for me, like doing the solo stuff, I mean, I've also spent this past year working on, uh, I take voice lessons every week too. Um, nice. you know, partially inspired by a, a, a traumatic experience I had where, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I feel like one thing I was just going to mention that I, you know, with Umphreys is, uh, I remember the first like couple shows we did opening for them, someone like tagged me in a thread that was in like one of the fan pages or something. And it was like a 270 comment thread of people like arguing about my voice. Someone being like, oh, this guy sucks. Like I hate his voice. It's like the worst voice ever. And then someone being like, no, I love his voice, you know? And, but it's interesting. Cause for me, I've always, you know, um, guitar has been like something I felt very confident about and, and like I can really express myself there and uh, it's come very naturally but vocals um, were something I did have an insecurity about and uh, I've, I've always want I've taken voice lessons like here and there over the years but I've been doing it in a more focused way with this guy named Keith Harker we do it over uh, zoom and um, it's cool because he's actually been teaching me to sing like uh, in like and yell and like do all the because like this music that we're doing now is like really fucking heavy so like i'm trying to figure out the right character for that and uh now i'm like learning how to use my throat and, and my and my diaphragm and get like all these guttural sounds and stuff but but anyways it was a nice opportunity for me to do a, a, a couple of sets that were more fo like vocal focused you know and previously that's been a point of anxiety for me and now it's becoming something i i'm like settling into a lot more and it's very exciting to make that progress you know um so sure. it's 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 yeah it's been it's been good that's awesome I love that you are so open and such an advocate for discussing mental health anyway I am so big I could go off all day about that subject yeah. um but especially because you're a man I think it's so important for men to be okay with talking about their mental health. There's just such a stigma where, you know, don't talk about it. It's not manly. Don't be a pussy. Any of those other things that you, you hear on the playground and everything else. So I think it's great that you're using your platform to talk about that anyways, but to also, you know, talk about it as a man, because I think it's important to, as you said, be vulnerable and have that power in it and tell people it's okay to not be okay and to own it and to need help or therapy or whatever. So just anyways, I think that's fantastic, but thank you. you know, and being I, and a man, I think that shows a lot of strength. Yeah. And you know, I feel like it's less strength and maybe more courage. I like to make that distinction. Cause you know, 
Um, I feel like I, a lot of the conversations I've had recently, I feel like I hear people talking about like this need to like be strong all the time. And it's more about like vulnerability and courage, I feel. And, uh, and you know, I, I think uh, I agree totally with what you said. And I feel like it's nice to see at least a slow shift occurring in regards to how masculinity is defined. And, um, you know, clearly, clearly men feel all kinds of emotions, but they get so repressed that a lot of times they manifest as anger or manifest as, you know, uh, you know, whatever, like any number of unhealthy expressions and, you know, suicide rates are higher in men. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's not random, you know, it's because it's been, you know, up until very recently, it's not been exactly easy or acceptable to open up about those things. I feel like luckily in the, um, music world um you know that's been you know i think a lot of people that are creative go through a lot of mental health stuff and you know it's it there's it's been easier for me to connect with people and have these conversations openly um in our music scene in our industry and like there's stuff i see emerging like backline and like there's 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 I'm grateful that our little community has at least a little bit of that going on, but it, it, there's so much more work to, to be done. And I love to encourage it because, man, I feel like if anything, like good communication is is so critical. And like you talk about relationship dynamics and you talk about like, I mean, any number of aspects about a, a man or a woman's mental health like are just so relevant and uh and you know in our own scene we've seen people struggle with with mental health to the point of suicide and 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 i you know it's it's a really hard thing and and it's it's i i appreciate your kind words uh and it's something i'm very committed to you know um and so i'm looking forward to figuring out ways to continue to you know integrate that into the conversation in our little scene here yeah, it's important. It's it's a heavy conversation, but it's one that I think everybody should have because even if you're not suffering from something, someone you love or someone you know is, even if you don't know it. So it's important to to keep the conversation open. So yeah, there was this old actress named uh, I think what was her name Elaine Stritch. I think what it was. She she was uh, if anyone watches Thirty Rock, she played Jack's mom. But she uh, she had this quote. I watched this like some random documentary about her, and she had this quote that always stuck with me was that everybody has their sack of rocks, and it's like you know you no know, matter what, yeah. it doesn't matter like what spectrum of suffering or what you I mean, there's, you know, all kinds of things that cause trauma in somebody's life, but everybody's got that load that you can't see and even and whether they're even fully aware of it or not. And when I think about resources, like whether it's medicine or counseling or healthy eating, I feel like all those things are just like slowly taking rocks out of your bag, you know, and mm -hmm. so I feel like I've been I'm trying to figure you know, figure out ways to kind of encourage people to do that, you know, you don't have to like white knuckle your way through life, you know, as sure. you know, and, and I think a lot of us do, and, and a lot of us suffer in silence. And I, cause I think we, you know, people worry it'll be perceived as weakness, but it's, it's not a weakness. It's, you know, I mean, it's just the reality of being a goddamn human, you know? human. being a human. And a human. we all have that sack of rocks, no matter what. So anything that we can do to lighten the load a little bit, yeah, just even helpful. sharing the community of understanding that, like, you know, like we, I think a lot of times people will look at even like what like Stasic and I do and like any like, like what, you know, you would look at our Instagram and be like, wow, these guys' lives are fucking awesome and they're perfect and they're so easy and I wish I could do that. But they don't, you know, it's, it lacks all the nuance and subtlety of 
all of our respective difficulties or things we've struggled with or mental illness, any of these things, like it's never what it seems. And, and so it's, I think it's good to kind of, and, and that's kind of what I mean by breaking down some of these barriers is to just show that like, yeah, like everybody's going through something, you know, and, and that's all right. We can, or do we can do it together, you know? Community. That's one of the biggest things I've learned over the past year is how connected we really are, even though we're far apart. Really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's funny because something like, like Death Kings, you know, I mean, Stasic and I like it was just something to stay connected to music and music like music that made us excited, like when there really wasn't much else going on. And you know, we would be on Gmail like a bunch of times every week and he'd like just, you know, send me an idea and be really excited about it. And I'd send him something back. And like that, like, I feel like this whole quarantine thing really also showed us how we can stay connected. Like, I feel like if anything, I've actually been in contact more with people like just over Zoom and stuff like this than I would have previously. And so, you know, you gotta, you gotta count, count the blessings and, and notice the silver linings too. And there, there's plenty of them, you know. For sure. For sure. Well, I would love for you to take me back a little bit since yeah. you said that you've only been playing guitar since you were a teenager. So what inspired you to pick up the guitar? Yeah, I mean, so my dad um, was a musician uh, himself. He was a, a piano player and, and he always had like some, you know, instruments just chilling around the house. And, you know, I grew up in that era where, you know, I was born in 89, right? So um, I was really primed to like be presented with all the shitty new metal. Like, like I loved Limp Bizkit and, and like corn and like, and some of that stuff, like, like actually corn's still pretty solid, but like, you know, like I, so I was really into that stuff at that age and it was all very guitar heavy, you know, mm -hmm. if, if not anything else, it was just like these ripping heavy guitars. And, and that was like me at like nine or 10, like just getting super into that silly stuff, but like. Air guitaring it up in the living room. Yeah. Yeah. Like in front of a mirror, like pretending like, like, you know, and then, you know, I, I, so I have my older sister, um, she's three years older than me and she was always like kind of discovering stuff and then showing it to me so like what it became pretty quickly was like it started off as kind of like a lot of pop punk so it was like green day and uh and i had uh, and and blink 182 like those like those bands like it, that was just the era you know what i mean i was mm -hmm. you know 2000 i was 11 years old you know like that's the yep. prime time to listen to blink 182 it was rebellious and it was funny and it was exciting and they were saying the f word and you know, like that was, For sure. that, that was rad as an 11 year old. I was like, they said fuck like 10 times. Like, that's amazing. You know, <laughs> they'd show boobs in the video and you're like, yeah, <laughs> boobs. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. You know? And so it started there. And then I, you know, right around that same age, I discovered skateboarding and, and got like so obsessed with it. And, you know, to this day, I, I mean, I skate three times a week. Like that's the, you know, been another part of quarantine that re, you know, that's helped me reconnect with something I truly love, but, um, but a huge part of skate culture is the music associated with the different, you know, cause back then, um, part of the skate culture was around like releasing video parts, like where these guys, pro skaters would go out and film in the streets and, and, and build, build these like awesome skate parts. And then they would like sync up music with it, you know, and they would even time it out. Like where a lot of times, like the, when their trick would land, like it would be on like the downbeat of like whatever song they were playing. And a lot of it was like punk and like thrash and ska and but then also hip-hop and so that was like sort of the biggest thing that made me interested in wanting to pl like play it because a lot of that music it's not 
really about the technical side of things. Like it's not like a lot of these guys are crazy proficient guitar players or anything, but they're putting a lot of raw energy into it. And that really resonated with skateboarding. And for me, you know, growing up, you know, around that age too, like my family life got really crazy. And so it was a beautiful escape for me, like the skate culture, the the culture of like punk and 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 underground hip hop and stuff. And then, you know, with that came guitar and like, I, you know, started meeting people that played. And, and so my dad had a guitar kind of chilling around our house and, you know, I, I would like play it when he went to work. Like I would just kind of noodle around on it. But I remember figuring out uh, Brain Stew by Blink or by uh, Green Day. And I wasn't even playing it right. I was just playing like one note instead of the like actual chord it uses. But I, it was like the most exciting thing in the world. And so it was kind of perfect because a lot of the music I loved was simple enough to pick up by ear, you know, and then just slowly chip away at it. And so then skateboarding and guitar became my two obsessions and that's all I cared about. And then guitar like slowly eclipsed skateboarding like over time because it, it was tough too with skating like the way that you progress is typically you gotta they call it paying the tax but you fucking hurt yourself you know like you're gonna maybe like break break a bone or you know because you kind of just keep slowly upping the ante of danger you know like that's yeah. just yeah. The, that's just inherently how it is and so right you know, I kept getting hurt back then and I would, and, and that would make it so I couldn't play guitar. And so I kind of just, after a while, I was like, I'll still like follow skateboarding and, and engage with the culture, but I'm going to skate a little bit less. And then eventually, you know, 10 years went by and I'm just on the road full time with Aqueous. But, you know, that's, that's where it started for me was just noodling around on, you know, and figuring out Pennywise songs and Bad Religion songs and going to see like ska shows, like my first ever like real shit. Well, I, I, the, I, the first like real real show I saw was uh, brand new that fan brand new and they were at sh uh, Showplace Theater here in Buffalo. Yeah, it's just really shitty, seedy little that little shithole. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and uh, actually, Aqueous played there later on, like real early, you know. But oh wow! But my second concert was down at Thursday at the Square, which like Umphreys has played a bunch of times, and we did one mm -hmm. with them once when it when they moved it to the Harbor. But it was uh, uh, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and Catch Twenty Two and uh, Voodoo Glow Skulls and Pie Tasters. So it was like a ska show, and like I learned about like moshing and skanking and that whole <laughs> that whole scene and i loved the energy of it because you know all these like music scenes sort of like like metal and punk and like they all have their own little like subculture and uh and i loved engaging with it and i always found like a deep connection to the people in that community and, and so i kind of ended up finding a home in the jam world later because you know i turned 16 and started smoking a lot of weed and all of a sudden i'm at a mo concert you know and then i saw and i remember seeing umphreys for the first time uh when i think i was about 17 uh, i went i drove to rochester with the aqueous's bass player and a couple of our buddies and we saw them at a haro east ballroom and huh? uh and i remember like I don't know if I'll, well, they're going to find out now, but I remember during set break, it was like a smaller venue and I was like on Bayless's side and it was so fucking hot in there that mm -hmm. like, I like waited till their set break and no one was looking and I turned his little fan around and put it on my face, which is like such a no, no, like, like, like I, and it's funny. Cause like, you know, we've toured with them enough now that we're like real close with their crew and stuff. And like, if Robbie like saw me do that back then, like he probably would have fucking punched me in the face, but like, you know, but that, nice but elbow. so yeah but like so but it's been interesting because like there's all these little communities and they're all a little bit different but they all share a certain thing in common and it's just that love of whatever the thing is like there's such unity in that and so it's uh it's sort of a full circle thing to kind of come back to my roots 
with people from my current life. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. And, and there's a real joy in that because I see them connecting with a different side of themselves as well. And it's also really awesome because when I, by the, when, you know, back when I was trying to play like punk music and stuff, I wasn't a very proficient player and the people I was playing with weren't either. And that was fine. Cause it's more about the energy and stuff, but fucking everybody in this band rips. So like, it's, it's really fun to like now have all this experience and ability and production ability and be able to like make something that we're really proud of. And, uh, and so I'm very excited for like what we're going to be able to do with this. Um, but that's kind of where it all started for me. Nice. So what made you decide that you wanted to do this as your profession? What for you was like, yeah, I'm all in, I'm going to deal with the ups and downs of being a musician and this is going to be my career. Honestly, I, I, I started the band Aqueous young enough that I didn't even realize there was ups and downs. You know what I mean? I, I, we started it in high school and it started off as like a thing in a basement for fun. And, you know, it just kind of grew and grew and grew over the years and, and it's, it's been wild, but, uh, I don't know. I, I think with guitar, it was such, a, an outlet for me of expression that it felt pretty clear early on that that was going to be what I wanted to do with my life. You know, like it's just there, it was a unique joy that I really couldn't find elsewhere. And I felt like it was the one place that I was really expressing myself fully and feeling like I was most connected to life and connected to my excitement and my passion. And so I feel like that it wasn't even really much of a conscious choice. It just was started one day eating up more and more of my time without me noticing, you know, and then all of a sudden, like, that's like all I ever did. And, and it, it's cool. Like, you know, it was, I, again, we started at such a young age that like, by the time we were hitting the touring circuit, we were like 22, you know, like we were pretty young. And, and uh, I remember like, even down here in Buffalo, like we played like every, we played Nietzsche's 26 times, like before wow. we moved on. And, you know, then that turned into like, you know, we did like all the little shit venues around town. And then that turned into like ironworks and that turned into ballroom and that turned into two nights at ballroom. And it's been like, you know, definitely a trip to kind of like see it grow. And then like, it got to the point where you're touring the whole US and getting on these bigger things. And for us, like situations like this, like, you know, even me being in a band with Stasic or, you know, doing, pro you know, projects with like, you know, some of these bands, like we grew up listening to these bands. So it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a thing that I don't take for granted at all. I mean, I definitely, you know, like, I'm a fan, you know, like, yeah. and, and it's, it's funny to like, kind of have both dynamics like you know i remember being the kid like raging the rail at the umphrey shows and like knowing every word and having that experience and then like it's also it's like almost like a different totally different relationship i have like with the friendship of the band and and especially with stasic and like you know it's been beautiful to like be able to connect like that because that when i was 17 if you would have told me that my head would have fallen off my shoulders you know um but it's it's cool you know and everything kind of happens in its time and um but yeah, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, it's funny because I did, uh, I did go to college. Like I, I was, I was actually going to be a guidance counselor, you know, I, I think, uh, and I graduate, you know, I graduated with a communications degree and uh, I was going to go to graduate school to do counseling. And then by that point though, the band was already doing like, we, we were doing like the Thursday through Sunday thing. And even my last semester of school, they like let me skip every Thursday, Friday class to be on the road as long as I handed my work in early. And so shout out to Buff State for being cool. That um, is cool. But, you know, I, so I kind of had like, you know, I feel like to be honest, I have to credit 
one of my ex-girlfriends for that. She was like, you should have a backup plan, like just in case and like whatever. And I was like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I just want to go on the road. And she's like, no, like this would be smart. And I'm actually really glad I did that because a lot of the knowledge and critical thinking skills I gained and writing skills I gained during school have actually been really beneficial to the band. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I was always going to do this. You know, I feel like yeah. the second the second I got a guitar in my hand, it was like kind of over, you know, like this, like that was it, you know? Yeah. I love that you have a same kind of similar story with, you know, being that 17 year old raging the rail and now your relationship with Stasic doing the podcast and, and doing the magazine that I do. I've had the same sort of thing happen with band members. And I, I think the same thing. It's like if anybody would have ever told my sweaty 17 year old self on the rail that this is the yeah. life that I would have, I'd be like, you're lying. There's oh, no it's, way. It's nice to learn that they're really, like really good people too, you know, cause that, I think that goes a long way with a band that you love. Um, when you sometimes, you know, you can be disappointed if you appear too far behind the curtain or it's not what you thought it was or whatever, but it's mm -hmm. been nice to learn like with them that it's as awesome as it seems. And they're, and they're really, really great humans. And so, uh, that's, that's cool. I'm glad you had that experience as well. It's very yeah. special. Well, and I'm sure for you as a musician, um, that has to be an inspiration that they're not the typical rock star guys, you know, you hear of the rock stars in the seventies living these, you know, fast lifestyles. And, you know, of course it was a party back in the day for them, but it wasn't to the magnitude of these stories that you hear. So I'm sure that's inspirational for you as a musician to you still have that good character as a human, but still be able to rage these rock shows. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, at every turn, they were, you know, just a positive example of like how you could navigate this industry. And I, I've always had a great respect for their inner innovation. And I feel like even between Vince and Kevin, like their team, like they have everything just so dialed in and they've always surrounded themselves with people like Rob, Robbie is like one of my favorite people ever with, you know, that's their uh, stage manager for someone maybe that doesn't know but um like just top to bottom they were always an inspiration you know just musically like in the beginning it was more just like oh i listen to this band i love this band but the closer we got to their operation and like started doing shows and stuff like they were we were always learning things from them and and uh, and then of course on a personal level you know like connecting with each of them individually some you know some more than others but like over over time you know, we've had a lot of really cool opportunities to play with them or, or do the collaboration sets or, you know, have them sit in or, or what, any, any of these situations. And every time I feel like I just like I'm constantly learning um, and it's cool because, yeah, like, you know, they are they're a generation before us. You know what I mean? They were doing shows when I was still in middle middle school. You know what I mean? Like they're all like, you know, and, and I forget that sometimes, you know, because I'm at that age now. I'm 31. You said you're 36. Like I like I'm at an age where like now that I'm this age, no one looks that old to me anymore. Yeah. But like, you know, there was a time like when I was 21 and they were like in their probably early mid thirties, like they looked like adults and I was a kid, you know, yeah. and now it's, it's different. Like, and I, and I kind of, you know, I, I'll forget sometimes like how that looked to me at, at one point, but, uh, but yeah, it's definitely been, been a, a pretty cool thing to, to be able to collaborate and, and make music. And for me, it's something that I, uh, it's like an honor, you know, like I, I, I take it seriously and, and respect it a lot. And, and, uh, you know, it's just something I'm grateful for all the time. For sure. So as a fan, what were some of your places to see Umphreys play? I mean, a lot of it was just around the Buffalo area, um, you know, and like surrounding festivals. Um, the, like I said, the first show I saw was at Harrow East Ballroom. And then I don't think I missed a single town ballroom show after that for the next couple of years. 
Um, Town ballroom shows are so good. I'm really going to miss those. Uh, yeah, I know. And I think, you know, because now having played that venue myself a few times, there is such an intimacy in that room, you know, because you can still pack like 1,100, 1,200 people in there, which is a good chunk of people, enough to have that crazy energy. But then, you know, every vantage point, like there's people that are on par with where you are on stage. And and it's it's pretty small for like, you know, just the layout like is quite intimate for its size. And so mm-hmm. I'm not surprised that they like played the caliber of shows they played there. So it was a lot of that. And then, um, you know, just and I, you know, I would like travel to like Pittsburgh to see them and, and you know, just kind of surrounding areas when I was like in my early 20s. And then it started to be like we were on a lot of the festivals that they were playing. So I'd get to like, you know, we'd play our early daytime set in 2014 on some small stage on the side and then go watch Umphreys at night or whatever, you know. And so I remember like seeing them at Modown and seeing them at Peach. And then, of course, like, you know, we've been Aqueous has been doing summer camp since 2013. So like I've seen like all the sets there and, you know, nice. like I always made it a priority to, to check those out when I could. And um, and so, you know, I've, I've definitely seen them in, in a pretty large handful of, of situations, although I'm sure somebody in the Velociraptors for Jesus group would laugh at my show count. But, you know, it, it, at one point, it just, you know, we, we, were, we were working on the circuit too. So, you know, my opportunities to like go see shows became limited because we were just touring so much. So it became more of like just when we would cross paths or if we would open for them. Because there's been a couple, you know, we did a, like a run with them in St. Louis and like we did shows with them in like uh, Richmond or not Richmond, uh, Raleigh and like a, a bunch, a bunch of just like one-offs and stuff with them in different parts of the country. But, you know, being well, everyone in the band is fans. So we'll always stick around and watch the shows and hang out and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Have you ever sat in with them freeze? No, no, no. All right. So if you could sit in with them, what have you ever thought about what song you would play? That's a really, really good question. Honestly, this is maybe would be a weird answer, but I love the groove of anchor drops. Um, okay. Like, you know, like I, and maybe that's not, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's the first thing that came to mind. I like the stuff that, or maybe like Professor Warmbog or something. Like, I would, I wanted maybe just do something a little bit off kilter. Like, you know, I mean, it'd be easy to be like Miss Tinkles or, or, you know, like any of these tunes, but I'd want to find something that I could like contribute to in a way that wouldn't be like overwhelming because I think. They already have so much going on. Their sound is so dense that I feel like a lot of times when you see sit-ins, it's more like horn players or like singers. And, you know, and occasionally you get like I saw the Billy Strings one and like guitar players. But I feel like I'd want to find I love like when they get in those groove pockets, like because I love the shreddy side. But like I feel like I really resonate with like a lot of the rhythmic pockets and I'm a very rhythmic lead player. And so I feel like I'd want something that maybe has like a bit of a funkier like backbeat, you know. Um, that I could kind of kind of settle into. I always liked Utopian Fur as well, um, and like a lot of the improvs in that song are are pretty sick. So well, I don't, then I don't you know. could always rip some really nasty like punk cover in the middle of Utopian. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, They're always throwing something weird in there. Yeah. You know? so. And side note, I have to remember the date, so I'll have to get back to you on this. But I don't know if you've ever heard the punk version of Uncle Wally. Don't they call it like Punkle Wally or something? I don't know if they actually called it that. Okay. But I was listening to something and just like you just talking about all this other stuff. I'm like, I have to tell him about this. Yeah, so I'm going to look up the date send and send that to you. Because I love that tune. I mean, I listened to local band does okay like a thousand times. In fact, I remember the first time I played with Stasic uh, and Chris at summer camp, like we had rehearsed like one or two times backstage at some of free shows that we were opening for. But I remember having this distinct memory of uh, I used to like when I when I was growing up, like I, you know, I, we didn't have, I didn't have, I came from like no money, but you know, we were really poor. And so I worked a job when I was younger, like cleaning hotel rooms. 
and uh, it was a terrible job, but it was around the era that I was discovering Umphreys and like the best part of the job was that I could listen to music. And I remember having this like really distinct memory of like cleaning a fucking awful bathtub, but listening to white man's moccasins and being like, wow, this is so fucking like, I remember just stopping. Like I just sat there for like 10 minutes, like, and just didn't even clean. Like I was just like, listen, I was like, this is like, I just had to like it, listen to it. And I remember just thinking like, having this weird cathartic moment, like, like looking over, I, you know, I'm like sending them cues and stuff. And I was like, what, like, what the fuck happened? Like, how did I get here kind of thing? And it was just like an appreciation moment, but like, you know, <laughs> it was just like a, a funny, a funny thing that I, that I, you know, like that just came, like, I hadn't even thought about it since that maybe happened. And I just had this moment come screaming back to me and it, it was cool. You know, that is really cool. I love shit like that. <laughs> yeah, me too. What would you say is the greatest piece of advice you've gotten about being a musician? Or the most valuable piece? Something that you think would be the most valuable piece? Yeah, actually I can give you an exact an exact answer. Um, so we had this opportunity once to do a, uh, you know Brooklyn Comes Alive, that, that festival that they were doing in New York. Um, yeah. I, there was one year where I did three projects there. I did uh, the Green Day thing with uh, Stasek and and, uh, and Chris, and we did a Moqueous set where it was us and uh, Alan Vin from Mo, and we did both Aqueous and Mo songs nice. interchangeably. And then um, what was the third thing? Maybe it was just those two things. I don't know. Either way, it was a busy year. But I remember Vinny like pulled me aside. And I don't even know if he'll remember because we were a part, everyone was partying and stuff. But like, yeah. he, I remember him saying something like, you know, we're not, I don't know if this was his exact quote, but something to the effect of like, yo, we're like not curing cancer here. Like you can relax a little bit, like remember to like have, have fun and remember that like what we're doing is like, it's not that serious, you know, like you can take your musicianship seriously and, but you know, never to take yourself too seriously and, and. And I really resonated with that. And I feel like uh, I kind of try to re remember that like at its core, music is, is truly a gift. Um, and it's a gift that we all share in together. And so I feel like for young musicians that are like coming up and trying to figure it out, I mean, there's a lot of pressure to always perform and a lot of pressure to be like, okay, like we got to do this, 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 and this. And, and like Aqueous, I feel like for us, for us, we always worked really hard. Like we always tried to be as tight as we could and for as prepared as we could. And I think at some point, like we, you know, maybe could have loosened our grip a little bit, like, and just been like, okay, wait a minute, like this is let's just relax. And like, you know, and it's funny because quarantine has totally brought that to us now, like where it really was a great reset. Um, but that was an important piece of advice because we were like stressing ourselves out, you know, because, you know, the music industry side of things, you have like managers or, or promoters or like people that'll get in your ear about things and be like, oh, like, this has got to be a fire set. You got to, you got to crush this, got to crush this. But the nature of improvisation is actually in risk taking, meaning that there's no guarantee that it'll be great, you know, and that the risk that you take is, is that, you know, it's high risk, high reward, you know, if, mm -hmm. if, if you pull it off, it can be fucking incredible. We've all experienced those moments. I've experienced it playing. I've experienced it seeing shows. And then, you know, the same thing on the other side where a band will like, you know, they'll try something and it won't happen and then they'll move on and whatever world didn't end. But I feel like, especially for people in this scene, it's important to keep that in mind, like work on your chops, work on your musicianship, keep your show tight, but also remember to just have fun and remember it's a, it's a gift to play with your bandmates. It's a gift to share music with an audience. And, you know, I think at every stage, 
the thing I learned is every band wishes they were at a, a stage the next band up is at, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, because and from like the dead on down, you know, like the dead is like stadium, fish is like stadium. Then you've got like Umphrey's Mo, STS9, you know, and, and so on down the line, the tears that people love to talk about. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't fucking matter. Like everything that you do, like, you know, I, 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 this is how I've been thinking about it is like, I've played some of the biggest shows in front of the most audiences. I played like some of my worst stuff ever and, and, and felt terrible. And then I've played like some of my best shows in front of like the smallest audiences, like, and, 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 and vice versa. You know, I've had shows where we played in front of no one and it was extra demoralizing when I had an off night. And then I've played in front of like, you know, thousands of people. And I was just like super on that day. And I walk away being like, yeah, you know, but there's no universal truth in it. And, 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 and if there is, it's just that, like, just try to appreciate every moment for what it is and stay in that present and, and, and just, you know, I don't know, like I could, I could, any show could be my last show, any, any day could be my last day. And so I feel like kind of keeping that in mind, which is interesting, kind of circling back with the Death Kings thing, because I want to talk about the name for a minute, if you're down, yeah. um, is like our look at death, you know, and like the, you know, the like kind of bringing that darker element into it is more in, in regards to like making sure you're living life, you know, and it's a celebration of death, like in, in the sense of rather a celebration of life in death, because mm -hmm. we've all lost people that are important to us. Like my, I lost my dad five years ago and it was such like a reset on how I saw life. And even his, like, you know, when he passed, we didn't do like, it wasn't like, I mean, it was sad. I mean, obviously it was very, very hard and I miss him all the time, but we celebrated his life. You know what I mean? And like, even like Dia de los Muertos down in, in Mexico, like I'm really resonate with that. And I think in Western culture, we tend to like grieve and, and, and um, focus on what we lost. Um, but I, I feel like a lot of our, our approach with Death Kings, a lot of the ethos of it is to like celebrate life, you know, and like, you know, champion like that, like, yeah, we are all going to die. Like, let's fucking live life now, like while we can, like fucking, if you're not get busy living or get busy dying, you know, like that's yeah. kind of, kind of the ethos. And so it's been, it's been neat to kind of have that be the thing, you know? I love that. And I love what you said about, uh, about death and how we really kind of, perceive it and how other cultures look at it differently as more of a celebration and when I talked to Stasic about this project he had mentioned that being something too and and I love that you guys kind of embrace that and was like no let's it's actually a celebration and the more you talk about the project and what you've gotten out of it and the whole story of everything it's really kind of fitting like it's, it's, it's really kind of spot on. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I, and I do believe like, you know, these people and these projects and like moments just come into your life at the right times. And I feel like it's, you know, it's not, none of this feels random at all to me. Like it all feels like it's something out of a storybook or something like it's just kind of playing out in real time. And, you know, <clears throat> it's cool to like see things kind of come full circle in these ways that we've talked about. And, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like both Mikey and Stasic are very real human beings. And, and it's cool how we're even like our, our writing process is very inclusive, like, and we talk deeply about lyrics and themes and concepts. And I even like wrote, you know, because I'm, you know, the band's like, primary vocalist, you know, um, and so, you know, when it comes down to writing lyrics, like I, I wrote the one song we have called Suicide Tuesday um, that no, it's not, no one's heard it yet. I'm fucking really stoked about it. It's, uh, 
it it was written after a conversation that the three of us had and i like literally wrote down like sentences that they were speaking about the subject and i, I don't want to give it away yet until it comes out but um it, it's a very collaborative thing like where it's based in just like real honest conversations like real life shit that we've all dealt with or felt or experienced or at least talked about and touched on and so there it's it's funny because it started off maybe as more of a and I don't want to call it a novelty, but like a fun, like one off, like, let's do some punk stuff, some silly, like, you know, because we were coming from like, drinking a shitload of tequila on stage and playing Green Day songs together. Like, that's what, was, what me and Stasek were having fun with. But then all of a sudden, like, we started like really tapping into some re like, deeper stuff in this project. And it the, ski the scope of it even musically changed. In fact, you know, I, I kind of at first it was gonna it was more like the kind of punk thrash like thing and like even like the 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 demo single we put out the uh, fight is kind of more of that fast like in your face thing and some of like the spectrum of music and influence that's been brought in especially because the three of us all come from different backgrounds but have a lot of commonalities too i feel like stasic's been kind of bringing in almost like a nine inch nails meets like tool meets like deftones kind of thing and then mikey's bringing in that kind of like desert rock like queens of the stone age thing and i'm bringing in like hardcore skater punk but we all love all of that together and so like the scope of music that's being created right now is like really exciting because it's you know it's in that vein but it's you know i'm not surprised because we're all from these bands that typically at least for umphreys and aqueous we can kind of play whatever we want you know what i mean as far as genre you know like and they have umphreys has songs that are like really poppy and then they have songs that kind of sound like the steely dan they have songs that sound metal as fuck like and same thing mm -hmm. with aqueous but maybe to less of a, an extent and so i'm not surprised that we started pushing boundaries quick but like already, like it started off as one thing and it's grown into something I could have never predicted. And, and I'm, I really believe in it. And a lot of people are really excited about it. It seems that the reception so far is excitement. So that's cool too, that people are, you know, because it's never about what everybody else is gonna think about it, but it is nice when you're creating something and people are stoked about it too. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, like, you know, I mean, we all want we all want to resonate like when we when you make art or when you make anything or do anything, of course, like it feels good when that resonates with people. I think it's been nice to like, create without any pressure in that regard. Like it's any any like if people love it, that'd be great. If they don't, we love it. You know what I mean? And, that, right. and so that's, that's enough for me. But I, I have a feeling like I, even the couple people I've showed some stuff to are like, super stoked. And, and I and I, it's cool. Like, you know, I mean, it definitely it's I'm sure it's not going to resonate with any everybody and like all our fans are jam fans. So, you know, when we're drawing from stuff that has very little to do with the jam world, I'm curious to see how it'll resonate. But a lot of people in the jam seem like heavy shit too. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I feel uh, either way, I like I said, all three of us are all in on it. So I, uh, I feel like that alone is going to be a powerful entity of itself, like just that kind of positive energy we're all bringing into it and that deep belief. And uh, I think like when it comes time to like us actually booking shows and playing shows, which will happen, um, it's going to be intense as fuck. Like, you know, like, like, we're it's a lot of pent up energy, like it's a lot, it, especially after this whole quarantine. And like the stuff is heavier than any music I've ever done. Um, and like, I literally bought a whole, like I, I invested in like a whole new rig just for this band. Like I have like a, a Marshall amp and like, I'm like tricking out my situation just so I can like really make sure to like bring a big sound, you know, when, when it comes time. And, and, you know, 
the both of these guys just go so hard, you know, on their instruments and like their their passion for it is massive. And so this uh, this record we're making, I'm very proud of already. And and uh, I'm starting. It's like starting to finally come together. And and it started again from just two songs, and then it grew into, um, which I guess we'll reveal is basically a full length record. <laughs> you know, that's sweet. That's very exciting. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, I'd love to know what is something that you would never leave for tour without besides your guitar, of course. That's a good question. Um, my Nintendo Switch. Nice. Easily. Because, uh, you know, I feel like like touring, it can be such like the time in between drives and stuff like that can be such a weird time warp and it's very easy to like be on your phone or like I feel like for me like at least video like get video gaming I can like I don't know it's like a little escape for me but it also uses my brain because I, I tend to play like a lot of puzzle style games like Zelda and like some like older Mario games and stuff like that that take like at least some like skill to the yeah. cultivating and, and I, I tend to like that so I, I, I Nintendo Switch would be probably my main answer there. That's like what keeps me sane and balanced on the road. Definitely and, much and honestly, better than scrolling your phone and reading awful news or social media or falling down that rabbit hole. So Yeah, and it's really easy to do. And you know, I think especially when we're on tour and stuff too, like it's you know, I don't I don't need like sometimes it's not helpful for me to see a lot of the stuff like you know like fan i love that fans interact with each other like but those groups are for them you know what i mean like they're not really for us and sometimes like when i see some of that stuff online like it'll just bug me out or like put me in my head and and so i tend, tend to just like stay focused on my stuff and what i can do my best at and can control and then otherwise just kind of roll with the breeze you know <laughs> for sure for sure no reason to uh read everybody's opinion yeah like my dad used to say, everybody has opinions. They're like assholes. Yeah, ex right. Yeah. Exactly. Everyone's got one. <laughs> For sure. Well, um, that's everything I have. But is there anything that you have coming up in 2021 that maybe you wanted to touch on besides, of course, Death Kings and... Yeah, I mean, for, for me right now, we're starting to put everything back together in the AQ camp and kind of get that machine churning again, um, now that we know we can do it safely. Um, you know, and uh, so that's been really exciting. Um, I also started a project with Haley Jane from Haley Jane and the Primates. Um, and it's uh, pretty much the opposite of Death Kings. It's like the most quiet, mellow, pretty, vulnerable acoustic music. And uh, we just recorded some music together in Rochester recently um, that'll be coming out that I'm, I'm really proud of. And, uh, and, uh, and then of course, like this Death King stuff, like it's, you know, it's coming soon and uh, it'll be a force. So, uh, you know, I'd say just for anyone watching, you know, keep, keep in touch with all our social media pages and, uh, you know, a lot of exciting stuff in the, in the pipeline right now. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to get back to bringing this new energy and this new balance onto the stage and into performances. I, uh, I feel very excited about it. Nice, nice. Well, this has been really, really wonderful. Thank you for your time. Of course, yeah. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me, and uh, kudos to you for doing such a rad thing with your with your podcast and the zine. And uh, uh, thank thanks thanks again. Yeah. So that's everything I have for this week of the show. Thank you again to Mike for the time. It was really a pleasure. There are a bunch of links in the show notes for anything that Mike or I may have referenced throughout our chat, as well as where you can follow him. Death Kings, and Aqueous on social media. 
Also tucked inside the show notes, you'll also find links where you can binge on past episodes, book a conversation, and be a guest here on DATC. Snag some of the fresh, just-released merch, the recent and past issues of Conduit from the official Dropped Among This Crowd store. Get yourself a subscription to Conduit Magazine. Check out the new Dropped Among This Crowd media website and so, so, so much more stuff. So make sure you check all of that out. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you around these parts next week. Mad love.